with you today. It's my honor. You know, Sid has very big shoes to fill. Just if you don't believe that, just ask him. He'll tell you how good he is. <laughs> my wife and I have been friends with Sid and Janine for many years and count them not only as wonderful friends, but as faithful brother and sister in Christ. You know, it's a, I know sometimes it's easy to overlook the fact that God has provided someone like Sid who who believes this word and who preaches the word and who loves the Lord. And uh, But don't be concerned. I won't preach as long as Sid usually does. So. <laughs> I had a professor in school once. Uh, one of our preacher boys asked him, what do we do when we get out in the field when we leave school and go to our churches? He says, well, do this. Talk about God and talk about 20 minutes. <laughs> So I don't know how long I'll speak, but this is a wonderful season of the Christian year. Every day is wonderful, but this is what is acknowledged and recognized as the beginning of Holy Week in a lot of the churches around the world, particularly liturgical churches, which God loves his church in in its different stripes and different phases and different uh, manifestations that it takes. But today is what's known as Palm Sunday. And it's a special time of the year uh, when we realize working up to, as uh, Ben said, toward Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday. This is a special time of the year when God calls us to re-examine our lives and see where we stand in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And on Palm Sunday, it's interesting, you know, you you read the scripture, and I'll read from John chapter 12 in just a moment uh, It's fascinating to me that not every account of Jesus' activity and ministry on the earth was recorded in each of the four Gospels, but Palm Sunday is one that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which doesn't make it necessarily any more important than any other portion of Scripture, but it does highlight the fact that this today begins a trek where we work toward Resurrection Sunday when we uh, worship and and praise our living Savior who did rise from the dead, whom God our Father rose. He touched him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he rose from the dead. I had the privilege in November of going to, after a mission trip to Ethiopia, we stopped in Jerusalem for two days, and uh, we walked what's known as the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus was dragged. And, and if you read this story this week, I hope you'll spend time in the New Testament Scriptures talking about what happened during this particular week, but it was especially meaningful to me to realize that even though it may have been paved over and different things have happened, we walk the very steps. There's an old hymn, by the way, I appreciate that hymn, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. That's one of my favorite hymns, the old version and the new version, which is an indelible grace. Uh, I took note of that. But you, you heard the old song, I Walk Today Where Jesus Walked. And it really spoke to my heart the fact that uh, not only could I walk the walk that he walked, but I can live the life that he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit when we allow him to come and live in us and through us. But the tendency as human beings is to sometimes be like the crowd that met Jesus on Palm Sunday as he made what's known as the triumphal entry. They were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then just... A week later, they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. It shows the, the nature, the human nature that we all possess, a tendency to wander 
Lord, I feel it. Lord, to leave the one I love. Take my heart and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's my prayer for Grace Bible Church and for myself today, that our hearts can be attuned to the fact of what Christ has done for us and not only what he has done, but what he wants to do in us and through us today and every day. I want to read from John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, just the passage. As I said, it's included in all four of the Gospels, but I'm reading from the book of John, beginning with verse 12 in chapter 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, and that's after he rose from the dead, then they remembered these things that were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. It's interesting to note that it was the religious folk of the day that had the most trouble with Jesus. And sometimes it's easy for us to say that we're Christians and refute the very words that he gives us very so clearly and plainly to follow after him. And I appreciate again the the song you sang, Ben. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O world with heavenly comfort brought. Whate'er I do, where I be, it's still his hand that leads me. He leads us as we allow him to live and live among us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We see from this passage that the truth and wisdom of the world are at conflict. And isn't that true today? If you turn on the news and switch from a gospel preacher to the news, how the conflict is between truth and the wisdom of the world and wisdom that our Lord has to offer. Its importance is highlighted by the fact that it is recorded in each of the four gospels. But it's always been... And always will be until the end of time that conflict between truth and falsehood that the world so freely offers us and invites us through any number of means to follow after them instead of following after the Lord. The context of the passage is that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead and that really upset the Pharisees and the religious people of that day because it had shown the power that God the Father had placed upon his son Jesus Christ, and and was evidenced by the fact that God raised him from the dead himself. But the religious people had trouble with Jesus. And isn't it sad today how much of the religious world has a problem with what Jesus has said? They've come up with their own ideas and their own thinking and their own interpretations of Scripture when the Scripture is meant to interpret other Scripture. That's why I love the fact that this passage that I just read where Jesus was quoted from Zechariah. My wife and I are currently, just this week, we read every night, we read and pray together. We just made it through Zechariah, as a matter of fact, last night. I thought it was very, not just coincidental to the fact that this passage that Jesus quoted in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious, yet he is humble 
riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You see the difference between the warriors of his day and the, the people of great stature. If a general was coming into the city of Jerusalem, he would be not riding on a donkey, but he would be riding on a white stallion, a horse that shows his splendor and his glory and his strength and his power and his might. Yet Jesus came among us not only as a little child, as you and I as a human being as we are, but he came, and even before his death, he came riding on a donkey when he could have called forth the angels and delivered him from what he knew was coming to pass at the end of that week. Palm Sunday actually begins with a donkey. He sent two of his disciples to procure a donkey so as to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy that was made over 500 years ago. It's what I love about the New Testament that it quotes so often the scriptures from the Old Testament because the New Testament is the fulfillment of the prophecies that we find so very clearly in the Old Testament. No human could have engineered the timing of the unfolding events of Passover week to coincide with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not a coincidence, my friend. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that on the very day that Passover would be celebrated, the blood of Christ was shed for you and I in order that he would look over us and cover us with his blood to forgive us of the sins that we have committed. Undeserved, yes. Unworthy, yes. But grateful, nonetheless, of what Christ has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. One of the things that causes us to know the truthfulness of the Bible and the gospel message is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies such as the one from Zechariah 9, chapter 9. The reaction of the crowd in this story is a classic, a classic example of missing the point. Because who were they looking for? They were not looking for a Messiah. They were, they were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for a worldly Messiah that would deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. If you've seen The Passion of Christ or any of the movies that portray the brutality that the Roman government uh, hoisted upon the people of Jerusalem in those days. And when we were in Jerusalem, we went to what's known as the Garden Tomb in Golgotha. And I learned something from our, our guide, which I don't know is true, but it sounded, he said the crucifixion actually didn't occur upon the, the hill, but it was on the ground level so that those who were passing by a well-traveled road could see what they were going to do to those who didn't submit to the Roman authorities and the Roman government. But he was there in front of Golgotha and crucified for you and for me and for, for the forgiveness of our sins. But... There are some parallels to our current political situation when we look at the responses of today's crowd to each of the men and women running to become president of the United States, is it not? I don't know about you, but I kind of get really tired of watching on the news all the, the give and take and the arguing and the fussing and the debating. But at the bottom of all that, sometimes the fact is that we have a tendency to look toward any human being, man or woman, to be our political savior. My encouragement to you today is to look to Jesus Christ and to fix our eyes on him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the only true Messiah. We can't be uninvolved in political activities. We are to be called to pray for our government, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our president, pray for the election. But if we are placing all our hopes and dreams and and our futures in the hands of a man or a woman, then we're missing the point and we're missing the message that Christ has come to bring to us. They were looking... For a political savior, an earthly deliverer to set them free from the Roman oppression. And so many people today are looking toward the fulfillment of the presidential election as to be the answer 
to all our problems. Yes, can it be better? It can always be better, but Christ points us today to look to him, the author and finisher of our faith. When we look to any earthly figure to save us or to be our deliverer, our affections are misplaced. As Christians, we're called to pray for our country and its leaders, but no man or woman can ever be our Savior besides Jesus Christ. People around the globe today are commemorating, as I mentioned, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus was crucified when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a humble, lowly donkey. It is recorded in all the Gospels as a watershed event which set in motion the crisis of the Passion Week, of Passion Week which we celebrate today. The other verses in Zechariah 9 give us a picture of what the Messiah is to be to us, prophesied some 500 years before the time of Christ. He said, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. That's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he will do for us when he comes again. He, because of the covenant that he's made with you and with me, with the blood that he shed, we have been enabled to be set free and out of the captivity of our sin and our bondage and our slavery to the things of this world. Jesus was altogether a different type of king than what they were looking for. He rode a donkey signifying lowliness and humility, not seeking the praise and adoration of mankind, but coming among us as a servant. He was a suffering Messiah, and yet he was a a servant Messiah who came to wash the feet. And in some churches this week, as known on Thursday evening, the Last Supper, where the disciples gathered for the last meal with Christ, he washed their feet. It's called Monday Thursday, which is a celebration of the fact of knowing that Jesus, even up in his very point of death, was willing to lay down his life and to sacrifice himself for you and for me and also to, to bend himself and to lower himself and to humble himself to become one of us and willing to wash the feet of his disciples. It's a challenge for each of us today to ask ourselves, are we willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the brethren, for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ? He came not to rule but to serve as the suffering Messiah. He came to show us what God the Father is like. He came to bring peace. The horse that he rode, normally the generals would ride into the town and was a signification of war. But the donkey represented peace. Palm branches were laid out at his feet, not swords. When the generals would ride into the city, they would throw their swords down before the general as a sign of respect and adoration. But Jesus was a different kind of king. He came came to rule over our lives as Lord and Master. No one who by force takes over and demands loyalty but offers himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, including the sins that you and I have committed. Scripture is very clear that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he also says through the Apostle Paul that Christ in us is the hope of glory. He has bridged the gap and allowed us to come into fellowship with God, our Heavenly Father, through the work, the sacrifice, and life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. His triumphal entry sealed his doom, and he knew it. 
He could have turned around. He could have called out to his father. He could have called down angels to deliver him from what was to come. But most of the gospel accounts show Jesus normally avoiding crowds. And I myself am somewhat of a, not a lonely person, but an introvert. I love alone time. And that's one of the things I appreciate about Jesus. And one of the reasons I like to spend time near the ocean, Jesus spent a lot of time around the water, did he? He would get away from the, he didn't ignore the crowds, but he knew how to separate himself from the throngs of people that were after him for the miracles that he could produce. But he also normally would have alone time, either in the desert or he would go into the mountains to pray. Even as I walked through the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem a couple of months ago, I could picture Christ kneeling and pleading with his Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That should be the prayer of each of us today, Lord. Not our will, but your will be done. That's why Christ taught us to pray in the, the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it possible for that to happen? I proclaim that it is. I proclaim that it is possible that the will of God can be lived out in each of our lives. Not perfectly, because we're all sinners. I read a business book a number of years ago called Peak Performance, which was written by an engineer in the Apollo space program. And one of the interesting things that he said in this book, that 98% of the time the Apollo moon missions were off course. 98% of the time. It's hard to imagine, but it was those slight corrections that they made that put them back on track to land on the moon. So that's a challenge for each. That challenged me when I read that. I realized that a lot of times I'm off track. A lot of times I'm missing the mark. A lot of times I don't have the proper goal in mind. But when he calls me to confess my sin, which our brother just encouraged us to do a few moments ago, it's those moments of corrections that get us back in the path that God wants us to walk. None of us are perfect. We will never walk perfectly in this life. But thanks be to God, if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. So he calls each of us today on this Palm Sunday as he walks among us. What are the palm leaves in our own lives today? What is the Jerusalem in our own life? Are we receiving Christ as one who just can be like a, a lawyer who's on retainer? When we call him, if when we need him, or can he be for us a daily savior, a moment by moment, one in whom we can place our faith and trust and allow his Holy Spirit to live in us and through us, being the ambassadors for Christ that Paul encourages each of us to be, not living for our own selves, but living for him. His triumphal entry sealed his doom, and Jesus knew it. He knew what was coming. He was human, fully human, yet fully divine. Shortly after this passage that we read in John 12, we can read further and realize that God, Jesus wept for the people of Jerusalem, showing his heart of compassion. Now, we as Americans don't like to see men cry very often. You remember a few years ago, speaking of presidential elections, I think it was Thomas Eagleton, who was a Democratic candidate for president after they had found out that he had suffered depression and had gone to counseling and therapy for it, and he teared up at the... uh, one of his press conferences, and from that time on, he was shamed and disgraced and actually had to leave the election. But we don't like to see people like that, mighty leaders showing humility and, and repentance and 
confession and showing weakness. We want someone who will be strong and mighty leaders, showing bravado and muscle. But what we need is not leaders who show bravado and muscle, but we need leaders who will show us the way to the Father. But we can't look through our political leaders, our governmental leaders, to point us in that direction. We can only look to Christ through His Word. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, we have a constitution as His citizens. And this, my friends, is His constitution, specified specifically in the Bill of Rights, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount. When we read, The blessed are thou when you do these things. That is the Bill of Rights for the citizens of the kingdom of God. He comes as a king who tells us what we need to hear, not necessarily what we want to hear. He spoke of earthquakes, of famines, and of coming desolation to the people who listened to his message. Not the message that we often hear from TV preachers, seeking our money and promising peace and prosperity for those who heed their call and who will send in money for a blessing. But Jerusalem is the picture of our heart, a heart who Jesus desires to enter to rule and to reign, not as an earthly king, but as a king over the kingdom of God. And this, my friends, as I said, is the constitution for the citizens of the kingdom of God. He is, Scripture tells us, the author and the finisher of our faith, a king on whom we are to fix our eyes, to focus upon him, the author and finisher of our faith. What does it mean to fix our eyes on Christ? It reminds me of when I took my first airplane flight. I think I was 21 or 22 years old. <clears throat> a little little concerned, quite frankly. I'd never been on an airplane before. And I was flying from Kansas City, where I was in graduate school, to Lincoln, Nebraska on an old prop plane. We took off, and it was kind of beautiful, but every time we'd hit a little pocket of air, I would grab the armrest and hold on tight, or any time we'd make a sudden turn or he would veer one way or the other, I would get a little bit nervous, so... I noticed that the flight attendant, it was one of those planes where you could see the flight attendant who was sitting facing the, the passengers. I noticed she seemed very calm. She was reading a magazine. She was filing her nail, whatever she did, but she did not seem to be very concerned about what was going on and the things that I was concerned about. And I realized if she starts to panic, then I have a reason to panic. <laughs> but she's at peace. She seems to be think everything is going okay. So maybe I'm going to be all right. Maybe I'm going to land safely in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's how it is when we fix our eyes on Christ. In the midst of the turbulent lives that we each live, the sicknesses, the things that we just prayed about, jobs and money and finances and health and relationships, if we focus our eyes on those things, then we have reason to panic. We have reason to hold on to the armchairs of our life. But if we fix and focus our eyes on Christ, if we see him getting nervous and wringing his hands, then we have reason to worry or be concerned. But the good news is that ain't going to happen. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and me. He's not nervous. He's not concerned. He is concerned, but it's out of his great love for his children that he causes us to fix our eye, calls us to fix our eyes on him and to be to take the view of the fact that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when we find ourselves in turbulent times and difficulties and challenges of life and financial uh, problems, physical problems, relational problems, problems in school, when we trust in him and focus our eyes on him, he will allow us to experience the peace that passes all understanding, as Paul said. And when we have the peace that passes understanding, we give up the right to always understand why things are going on. 
I know if each of us were honest today with each other, there are things happening in our lives or in friends' lives. We ask, why is this happening? Yet in the midst of those questions, we may not get answers in this life, but one day we will know. But we can know that he promises for us peace in the midst of our storms in this day. He is, as scripture tells us, the finisher and the author of our faith. The question that inevitably arises when reading about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is this. And I challenge you with this today. What type of Savior are you looking for? Who are you in relation? Where are you in relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ? What is your relationship with the one who wants to enter in and bring the peace that passes all understanding? One who takes care of our problems in this life or one who takes care of the sin problem in our lives? He can erase for us the sin in our life if we're faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. A Savior whom we contact on retainer, only calling upon Him when we need help, or one in whom we cast our cares in adoration and thanksgiving unto the King of the universe, who yet wants to be the King of each of our lives. We are called not just to be admirers of Christ, but followers, faithful disciples of the suffering yet victorious Savior, Savior who offers to be the King, not just of the universe, but King of your life and of my life. He is to be more than a conquering hero, returning victorious in battle, moving beyond adoration to faithfulness, to pride in who He is and not who we are. If we choose to follow Jesus, we will, as Jesus did, pick up opposition along the way. We'll find ourselves challenged on many turns, from other people who do not know Christ. But the Pharisees, the religious people, chided Jesus to rebuke his disciples. So we will be rebuked in this world when we confess our love and our adoration and our discipleship for Jesus Christ. If we choose to follow Jesus, we will be called to take up our cross and follow him without qualification. He bargains with no one but calls each of us to follow in his footsteps. One of my favorite hymns growing up in my southern baptist background and that i so greatly appreciate sweetly lord have we heard thee calling come follow me and we see where thy footsteps falling lead us to thee the hymn is footsteps of jesus that make the pathway glow we will follow the footsteps of jesus wherever they go is that where you are in your life today that's a challenge that i give myself today am i willing to do go where he leads me i will follow If we choose to follow Jesus, we will be called at times to take up our cross and follow Him. The symbolism in the four accounts of the Palm Sunday is very rich and full of meaning for us today. There were three compulsory festivals that Jews were required to uh, celebrate. One was this very one that we read about on Palm Sunday today. They were headed to celebrate the Passover. Jews to this day say at Passover, here today, Jerusalem next year. There were most likely in excess of 2 million Jews at the time of Passover in coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But news had spread that the man who had raised Lazarus from the dead was headed to Jerusalem. That's why they were gathering around to welcome him because the news of what he had done, healing of the two blind men just in the previous chapter and the raising of Lazarus from the dead had gotten the attention of the crowds and they had come to see him for him to do a miracle in their own lives. And the crowd gathered to greet Jesus. There are any number of motivations for them to come. And so it can be for each of us. 
None of them are necessarily bad, but I challenge us to examine the content of our heart where our adoration lies for him. Some came to Jesus as merely a sightseer. Some came, as too many oftentimes do in church, to stamp their spiritual clock and get clocked in and say, well, I've done it for the week, so I don't need to worry about the rest of the week. But there are greeters in that crowd who have a conquering king who Jesus was, but not the kind they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus to be exactly what he did not come to earth to be, and that is a political Savior. Jesus came with a messianic claim signified by his arrival on a donkey. But the main takeaway today for me reflecting on this passage about Palm Sunday is simply what expectations do we have of Jesus? Ever since the feeding of the 5,000, they were looking for Jesus as a miracle worker, trying to fashion him into a deliverer, a Messiah of their own choosing. I've heard it said that God created man in his image, man and male in his image, and we have spent most of our lives trying to return the favor creating God in an image that we like, a God that we would like to mold with our own thoughts and desires and plans and purposes. How might we be attempting to make Jesus our type of king? What type of palms might we be waving before Jesus? Could we be waving the prosperity gospel palm, a social activist gospel palm, a pacifist gospel palm, a healing gospel palm? There are any number of dreams and desires we wave before Jesus, hoping that he would be our type of Messiah in our own creation. It is The Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus because he was drawing crowds and messing up their whole game plan. They were also wanting to kill him, Lazarus, because he was being, having been raised from the dead. He was causing a difficulty with the message that they wanted to portray. Could it be that we sometimes worship our expectations of Jesus instead of a sincere, heartfelt adoration of the Christ who came to show us what God the Father is like? I know that's unfortunately true in my own life at different times. When I try to fashion Christ and our Heavenly Father in a way that meets my agenda instead of His agenda. Could it be that we sometimes worship our expectations? He was and committed, He was and is committed to being His Father's kind of King, which is King of the universe, yet King of our lives. So I challenge each of us today to examine our hearts during this Holy Week to say, Let us wave palms of praise and adoration and glory to him because not because of what he can do for us, which he does so many wonderful and glorious things for us, but what he has already done for us in setting us free from the bondage of sin and slavery to the passions of this world, releasing us to worship him with adoration, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings, the King, Son of David, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is he your King of Kings today? Is he your Lord of Lords? If not, he wants to be, and he will be, if we faithfully follow him and trust in him with all our hearts. Would you allow me to pray with you, please? Father, may your words today, not my words, but your words, may they take root in our heart and bear fruit in our lives for your honor and glory. We confess our need of you this day. We confess sometimes our misplaced affections and expectations of who you are. But we ask you, Lord, to come and be the Lord of our lives. Lead us, O King Eternal, into the path that you would shine the light of your truth before. Pray your blessing upon Grace Bible Church, upon each member and visitor. 
each one here this day. May we know this week in a special way all that you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.